Well, God bless you guys. Welcome once again to Swerve Church, and I hope everybody's having a great afternoon so far. And I'm really excited to be wrapping up uh, this series. It's been a great series. It has been a super challenging series. If it's any challenging to listen to, it's even more challenging to prepare and during the week. It really has been, but it's also been a super relevant message because so often we have these questions and these concerns. We have these doubts, and a lot of times we have this perceived understanding of who God is, and it's not who He really is. And the way we find out who God is is by reading His Word. So today we're wrapping up our series, When God Doesn't Make Sense, and throughout the series we've really been trying to answer questions that some may pose, you know, which create a stumbling block for us to fully commit to walking with Christ, so to, to live out this thing that we call Christianity. And what we've come to notice is that oftentimes these questions are based upon these perceived views of God, and it's a perceived view of God, it's not who He actually is. And in order to answer these questions, like I just mentioned earlier, and to understand God a little bit better, we've really been digging into God's Word, opening up and digging through and reading through the verses and the passages, and really trying to figure this out, trying to understand who He really is and what the Word says about Himself. Now today we're going to attempt to answer a major objection for many as to why there must not be a God. And a lot of people have this understanding. Why? 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 This, there must not be a God because of this. And the question is, why is God so unfair? Why is God so unfair? After all, with all the things going on this, in this world, if there truly was a God, then there's no way that he would allow all the stuff that's going on, right? If there were a God. This is a major objection, guys, that we see from people all over the place all the time. It's a very major objection for people. And it's really crazy to read all the headlines. I was looking, you know, searching through some of the headlines recently from this week. And it's really crazy when you start to read the headlines, the newspapers and the articles and all that of what's going on around the world and right here in our own backyard. Because just for example, did you guys hear earlier last week, six people were killed, 17 people were injured in a shooting at a mosque in Quebec, in Canada. It's absolutely devastating. Six people lost their lives. Right here, in, in, uh, in not too far, 67, a 67-year-old lady was, in, was just walking by, minding her own business, when somebody accidentally, while they were trying to parallel park, backed onto the curb and killed the 67-year-old lady on the sidewalk because the car jumped the curb and it killed her. Can you imagine, guys, the devastation of that lady's family? If she, if she was married, if she had kids or grandkids... Can you imagine how they're feeling today? How about this one? Did you guys hear about a cocaine stash that was discovered inside the nose of an American Airlines airplane? They found, I think it was $100,000 or $200,000 worth of cocaine. And you might be saying, Danny, that's a good thing. They found the cocaine. It is a good thing that they found the cocaine. But isn't it sad that somebody put it there? It was coming from Colombia and it was flying up to the U.S. They found all this cocaine stash in the nose of the plane. And it just brings devastation to my heart to know that that stuff was coming here to be consumed, to be sold. Lastly, recently, a New York City mom that was, found, that was missing for a month was found stabbed to death behind a wall by the George Washington Bridge. A month ago, they recently found her body. She was stabbed to death. Isn't this hard? I'm not trying to be gory, or, but it's, it's really kind of, this is, these are headlines from this past week. Things that were circulating in, in the news and on your Facebook timelines, no, no doubt. 
And for many people, these type of headlines are exactly why they cannot believe that there's a God. Danny, how are you going to tell me that there's a God when there's a 67-year-old lady that was innocently taking her life up? Those worshipers, those innocent worshipers in the mosque in Quebec, six people with their lives taken from them. How are you going to tell me that there really is a God? These people were innocent worshipers at the mosque. And if there really was a God, wouldn't he get rid of all the drugs and all the abuse that's going on in the world and all this that leads to that stuff? And for sure, if there was a God, that mom would still be alive. The lady hid in stats, that, that wouldn't have happened if there really was a God. But for some of us, it's not just these headlines and these things that are going on all over the world. You know, for others, this is much more of a personal issue. It's not so much why did it happen to them, it's why did it happen to me? Why did this happen in my life? Why, after I tried my best, and I did all that I could do, and I worked hard, and I helped others, and I really tried my very, very best, why would God allow that to happen to me? Why would God allow the hurt to happen to me, the abuse to happen to me? This, this, why would God allow this, is many things. This can be a, a number of things. It can be an abusive relationship with a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Why did God allow that person to abuse me? It could be a heartbreaking situation. It could be a business deal gone sour. You're trying to run the business the best that you can and, and with, with a lot of honor. But then it's a, it's a bad business deal that went south. It can be the loss of a loved one. And, 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 and we're mourning as a church family as we hear about a loved one, a neighbor that, that we've been praying for that unfortunately lost his life. Can you imagine the devastation that that must cause to that family? And that hardship that they must be going through right now. And we might think, why is God allowing this to happen? If He could do something, then why doesn't He? If He can stop it, if He can heal it, if He can prevent it, if He can stop it from happening, then why doesn't God do it? It must be either He's a heartless God and He doesn't care. God doesn't care then. And if you're here today and you've thought these very things or perhaps you're here and you're thinking these very thoughts today, then here's what I want to comfort with you with. And it's to know that you're not alone. You're not alone thinking about these thoughts, thinking about these things. There's many people that have thought of these things before as well. And if you're here today and you have these questions, you're not alone. And throughout Scripture, we see this all over the place, guys. As we read the Bible, New and Old Testament, we read characters from the Bible, these very people that have very real sufferings and hardships and have these very same questions. They begin to think these very same thoughts. And one prominent character in the Bible really, really stands out to me. And in fact, the person that I'm about to tell you is the one person in all the scripture that Jesus said was the greatest man ever to be born. Muhammad Ali said he was the greatest. According to Jesus, no, he wasn't. It was this man that I'm about to tell you. Jesus said, pay, paid him the highest compliment he could ever pay of somebody. He said, this man right here is the greatest ever born. This person was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer. You know, John would baptize people. He, was, he would baptize people in the river. He would preach people to repent and follow Jesus. He, he would baptize them in the river. He said, in fact, he even said that he was unworthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. Everybody he came across, he was the, he was the crazy guy in the wilderness preaching repentance, pre telling people to follow Jesus, pointing everybody to Jesus. What does he get in return? Mind you, the greatest man to ever walk the earth. What does he get in return? 
Well, John the Baptist gets thrown into prison. He gets thrown into prison. And when he's in prison, just like any one of us here would probably have these questions and these doubts, he actually sends some messengers to Jesus. Because he's in the prison, he's like, man, he's thinking to himself, man, I just preached some great sermons. You know, I pointed everybody to the way, the truth, and the life. I baptized them in the river. I was super humble, and, and I did everything God put me on earth to do. And I find myself here in this dungeon, here in this prison. He sends word to Jesus. And in that hardship and in that difficult, in that difficult time, you know what he asked Jesus? He tells him, are you the one? Jesus, is, is it really you? He, he doubts. He's, Jesus, is it you? Are you the one? Or should we be talking about, should we be looking for somebody else? Are you the one? And here's the thing, Jesus is doing miracles. He's setting the captives free. Blind people are seeing. Mute people are talking. People that couldn't walk begin to stand up and walk. And Jesus is doing all this stuff. He's setting the captives free. But what about John? John is stuck in prison. In fact, in this very same narrative, you know what happens to John? John ends up with his head on a platter, literally. He gets his head chopped off. But couldn't Jesus do something? Couldn't he prevent it? Couldn't he have delivered him from the jail? Those, the same way when Peter was in jail and shackles and all of a sudden the shackles came loose. Couldn't that happen to John the baptizer? Couldn't Jesus do that? But why didn't he? And when I think about all the emotion that this evokes, I can't help but picture some characters from the New Testament, Mary, Mary and Martha, when they lost their brother Lazarus. These guys were best friends. They were like besties, BFS forever with Jesus, right? Jesus would come over to the house and he knew them personally. They were close friends. Mary and Martha find out that Lazarus grows ill and all of a sudden he dies. They send word to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Jesus, he's going to die. Jesus doesn't do anything. In fact, Mary and Martha with tear-filled, with tear-filled eyes, they go to Jesus and this is what they tell him. If, you, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have been dead. Can you guys imagine the anguish and the hurt that Mary and Martha felt as they lost a loved one in this case? Now listen, I cannot even come close to hoping that I can answer everybody's questions here. Is there, you might have doubts and questions. You might be going through your own difficulties. Anyone listening to the podcast later on might be facing these hardships as they listen to these very words. And I, and I, can't, I can't hope to be able to answer all of your questions. And honestly, I actually don't think that's my job. It's not my job to answer every rebuttal, to answer every doubt, to answer every question. All I can do is point you to the one that one day will have all the answers. And that's exactly what I want to do right now. I want to point you to the one that has all the answers. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? If you guys have your notes, would you guys please open it up to the portion. There's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. And I would love for you guys to follow with me. All the verses are there. There's just a couple of fill-in-the-blanks today so that you guys can write in. Here's the, here's the first thing. When God doesn't seem fair, I want you guys to know this. God has purpose in your pain. God has purpose in your pain. And to show you this, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1. You have it there in your notes, a couple verses, verse 6 and 7. Here's what it says. There's, a one, there's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, 
These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Here's what I want to do, guys, for the next couple of minutes. I just want to break apart these two verses and kind of make it very clear for us. And the first thing that really sticks out to me in the beginning is when it says that you must endure many trials. You must endure many trials for a little while. Would you guys please underline that right there in your notes? That you must endure trials. And it's interesting that to me, whenever the Bible talks about this, it's never an if question. It's always a when question. Do you guys know what I'm saying? It's not if you're going to face many trials, it's when you, even though you must endure many trials. And so whenever the Bible talks about this, it's never an if question, it's always a when statement. And it's also fascinating to me that the Bible always emphasizes the fact, the next part says that it's for a little while. You must endure many trials for what? For a little while. And the Bible many times makes emphasis on this. You know why? I think because there is a wonderful joy ahead, is what it says later on in the verses. There's a wonderful joy ahead. One day we're going to be united with our Master. One day we're going to be united with our Creator. We'll be in the very presence of God before His throne. And you know what's going to happen when we're there? There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more trials. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more heartache. We're going to be in the presence of God. And we're no longer going to be there. And whenever the Bible talks about this, it always says for a little while. For a little while. Okay, You're going to face hardship for a little time. And I think that what that ought to do to each and every single one of us here as followers of Jesus, it ought to create within us uh, this holy and righteous longing to be with Jesus one day. Now, I'm not talking about having suicidal thoughts like, let me end my life, jump off a bridge so I can be with Jesus. I'm talking about a healthy longing. And one day, when this life is over, we're no longer going to be here. We're no longer going to endure this pain and hardship. We're going to be in the very presence of God. And we're no longer going to feel this pain. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Here's the second thing I realized, that trials show you that your faith is genuine. In verse 7, would you guys just please underline that right there in your notes. Trials show you that your faith is genuine. And I love how Peter uses the analogy of fire and testing and purifying of gold. And I put up this picture here just so you guys can see. I don't know if you guys know exactly how they purify gold. But they basically they throw gold in the hottest fire that they can in order so that it can remove all the impurities you know, from the gold. Because it must be removed before it can reach its more pure and more valuable form. And Peter goes on to tell us in this verse that our faith is way more valuable than that. Our faith is way more valuable than gold. And what happens is that God produces purpose. When we go through these hardships and these difficulties and these hard moments in our lives, God has a purpose behind the hardship. And what's coming out is like God is ringing our faith and it's bringing out the purest and the rawest form of faith. And the, somehow in the middle of this pain, God produces purpose. Our faith begins to grow. Our faith is stretched. And it's not in the temporary things of this world, but an eternal, everlasting God. So you know, one day we will be with Him. And, and if you're here today and someone's let you down and you really hope 
that they would have come through, especially in the time of your biggest need. And it's somebody that you had a lot of confidence in or if you were taken advantage of by someone that you had immense faith and trust in. If life doesn't go the way you want, whether it would be some crazy illness or poor health or if it would just be that untimely flat tire, you know, on your way to church, you know, whatever, God can use it. God can use it. And like gold in, in fire, your faith is being purified to its rawest form. The rawest form that faith can be turned into, you know what that is? An utter dependence on God. So somehow, God brings purpose in our pain. And here's number two, guys. When we talk about this, we're talking about number two. is God is present in your pain. God is present. In your pain. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. is super short and to the point. Look what it says. God is our refuge and our strength. And you know what? He's an ever-present help in trouble. And I love the confidence of the psalmist to say that God is our refuge and our strength. He's ever-present. When you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a difficult moment, He is ever-present in that trouble. And this is a promise from God's Word. This is, this is what he says about himself, that he's an ever-present help in trouble. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is an ever-present help when we're going through those hard times and those difficult moments and those troubles. God is present in your pain. And oftentimes, you know what we want? We want God to give us what we want now. We want God to give us the, the relief from the pain. We want Him to solve, to bring the solution to the problem, we want the healing from our sickness now, but God wants to show us that He is all we need. That He is all we need. He's present in your pain, and He's all we need. And there's someone in Scripture that experienced this firsthand, was the person, a guy by the name of Paul. You know, there's a time when Paul spoke of a thorn in his flesh. Do you guys remember that in the New Testament? He says, there was this thorn in my flesh, and he didn't know, he never revealed exactly what it was. You know, he just said that he prayed and he cried out to God fervently for God to take it away. And while Paul never goes into detail, we don't know exactly what it is. We do know that it was something that tormented him. It was something that caused him so much pain. He prayed on multiple occasions for God to remove it. But you know what God's reply was? It's actually there in your notes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Here's what it says. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> in other words, Paul is crying out to God. God, take away this thorn in my flesh. God, remove it. Take it away from me now. Take away the suffering. Take away the hardship. And God's answer is, my grace is sufficient. In other words, it's a big fat no. Not right now. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There was something that God was doing in and through Paul. And while Paul, I'm sure like any of us put in that situation, wanted to have the thorn removed, wanted the hardship to go away, wanted the problem to disappear, while Paul wanted that and any of, one of us would have wanted that, he would have much rather had God eliminate the problem with the thorn in the flesh. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, we would say, God, this is what I would need. This is what I need. But God would answer, no. That's not what you need. I'm what you need. I'm what you need. And what's interesting is that Paul looks back on this situation and he actually realizes that it was a good thing. 
And we see this, and if we continue to read, <coughs> here's what it says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in, my, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? I am strong. And, and I, Paul's vocabulary here is interesting, guys. Because look what he says. He says, I delight in my weaknesses. Would anybody use that word when they talk about the difficulties in life? Would they say they delight in their, in their weaknesses? They delight in their hardships? And then he goes, off, he goes off to like name each and every single one of these weaknesses. He says in insults, hardships, persecutions, problems, difficulties. He starts to list off all of these weaknesses. And then he says, I delight in that. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecution. I delight in difficulties. And it's a word that we normally wouldn't use when we talk about this stuff. But the key, however, is found in verse 9 when he mentions that the power of Christ is resting on him. Do you guys see that? It says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Apart from the very power of Christ, it wouldn't be possible to use those words when we speak of hardship and difficulty. You know, I, I spoke to my mom on Thursday. As a lot of you know, she's in Florida now and she's helping out the family and so I got to speak to her, and she got to give me an update on my aunt. And so I just want to share with you guys, because you guys have been praying for her. Thank you so much um, for that. So, you know, she's been in the hospital now for over three weeks, and uh, she's been unable to go home. She's, uh, you know, she wants to be home. She wants to be in her bed. Um, but unfortunately, she's been hospitalized. They actually moved her into intensive care. They moved her into the ICU in the hospital because... Uh, they found some, you know, different complications, just, uh, different problems. She needs a, a more intensive kind of care. So they moved her into the ICU. So it's kind of a step back. She's still waiting for a heart. She's still waiting for God to do a miracle. But, but that's not what's interesting. Thank you guys for praying for her. Please continue to pray for her. We are believing for a miracle. But what I found interesting is that my mom says that my aunt is still somehow in high spirits. She's hospitalized. She hasn't seen her kids. She hasn't gotten home. She's been in the hospital over three weeks now. She needs a heart desperately, but she's in high spirits. And she's just positive all the time. And this is what my mom tells me. She says, I don't even know how she's doing it. I don't even know how she's staying positive throughout this moment. I think the reason why she can be is because of what Paul's talking about right here. Because what Paul is saying in this passage that because in her weakness and in her sickness, God's grace is sufficient. In her hardships, in her difficulty, God's grace is sufficient. And I think it's because Christ's power is resting upon her. Like Paul mentioned in verse 9, the very power of Jesus Christ is resting upon her. She continues to pray. She continues to seek God. She continues to to share her faith and to have faith and trust God that He's going to make something out of this and that He's going to you know, make the best possible situation to provide or heal her heart. And she's just in the hospital just trusting God. And, and the reason why she's positive 
during this difficult time is because the very power of Christ is resting on her. Because she can find delight in that because when she is weak, she's made strong by the power of Jesus Christ. How about you? Can you delight in your weaknesses? Can you delight in those hardships, in those difficult moments? Can you say, you know, I delight in the headaches that I have or the illnesses or the, or that I, the, the sicknesses that because during that sickness time or during those headaches, it, it drew me closer to God and God increased my dependency on Him. Can you say I delighted in the job search? I delighted when I was looking for a new job because in that I learned to grow dependent on Christ. Can you say, I delight in this hard season because it's breaking me of self-sufficiency, of trusting my own need and my own abilities. Instead, it's helping me to learn and trust in God. And through this, God is growing my faith and God is stretching my faith and teaching me to depend on Him even more. Now, throughout the series, we've been looking at some of these objections that people have. And most of the time, it's a question of a perceived understanding of who God is. It's not who He truly is. And one such objection might be one of the questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? Right? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And you know what's interesting is that the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he asked the same question. He said it like this. He said, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? And it boils down to the question... Why is God, why isn't God fair? Why is he so unfair? And here's the truth, guys. The truth is that God is not fair. He's just. But he's not fair. Because if he were fair, then he would give us what our sins deserve. Do you guys know what our sins deserve? Our, our sins deserve death. And if, if he were fair, then you would get what your sins deserve. Now here, we're going to wrap up with these two verses right here. Look what it says. It says here, look, God does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. And I love this next part. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. <clears throat> the Bible says, in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death. And if God were truly fair, then we'd all have a tremendous death on our hands. And that debt is our very lives. One that we'd have to pay with our own very life. But instead, look at what God does. God in His great love for us, He sends Jesus to, so that we can gain life through His life. Jesus came and paid the price for our sin so that we can have true eternal life. That we might experience love and forgiveness. And, and God shows us His great love in this, in, in Jesus Christ. How, how much is His love? How much does He forgive us, man? As far as, as, as heavens is from the earth, as far as east is from the west. In other words, it's an infinite amount of love. It's an infinite amount of forgiveness of our sins. He does not treat us the way our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. And I love the, I love the language from this psalm. But do you know why, why else this brings me comfort? Because Jesus knows and Jesus understands. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about that we have a high priest who's gone through what we've gone through. He's experienced what we've experienced. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And Jesus on the cross of Calvary suffered pain, suffered hardship, 
in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he sweat tears of blood, he knows what it is to, to suffer and to feel pain. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to make an invitation for you to accept him, to invite him, to surrender your life to him because he's the only one that can grant true life. And if you're here today and you have questions, and you have doubts because of the hardship that you're currently facing, remember that God has purpose in your pain and he's present in your pain. He's with you. If you guys turn over the back of your connection card, there's some next steps there. And if you never made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to check that off. But there's a next step that we can all take today, and that's this. To trust that God has purpose and, pres- and He's present in my pain. I want to invite you guys to take that next step. And here's how we're going to do this. Check it off. Put it in the offering bucket. We want to pray with you during this week as you take your next steps. But we're wrapping up the series. We want to take communion as a family. So even before we wrap up in prayer, would you guys just take the communion cups you down when you came in? And let's, serve, let's take communion together as a family. And what we do is when, when we take communion together as a family, it's this very thing. If we look at these verses and we say, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. We reflect and we remember and we think about. We think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. Of Him coming, paying the price, the penalty for our sins on the cross. And so we do this just to remember. So would you guys just go ahead and, and take your cups As the kids celebrate and worship Jesus Christ. And now we take this wafer, and I always say this, you know, this wafer is nothing but a, it's a little wafer, okay? It represents, represents bread. It is, is not the actual body of Christ. It's, it's a representation of the body of Christ. And what happens is that Jesus sat with the disciples and he said, do this and remember some me, and we need to because we're so darn forgetful. We need to do this so we can remember and reflect and think upon and just remember that this is not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ. So we take the bread and we think about the, the flesh, the, blood, the, the very body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us, that was whipped and that was nailed to a cross, that was hung on a tree as so people can mock and spit and slap him and, and literally watch him die on a cross. We remember that his body was broken for us. You can partake of the wafer. And God, we thank you um, that you paid the price. You paid the penalty for our sin. Your body was literally hurt and pain. God, help us remember. Every time we get a paper cut and we cry like a baby, help us remember the amount of pain that you endured on the cross. God, whenever we skin our knees, Lord, help us remember the amount of pain that you had carrying the cross up, up, up Calvary, Lord, to be hung and nailed on that tree to pay the price for our sins. This, this death cost you much. It cost you pain, God. And we remember, Lord, that our sins is what caused that. Guys, and as we take this juice, the, the juice, I say this all the time, it's nothing, it's just juice, it's just grape juice. But we use it to remember, it's a, it, it, it symbolizes the blood that was shed. They put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and blood dripped down his face. And they whipped him and it 
pulled off skin from his back and blood dripped down his back. And he, he literally bled for us. So much so that when they put a spear into his side, just, you know, a combination of water and blood just leaked out because he had lost all of his blood. That, that blood it represented the, the one perfect sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, they would shed the blood of animals. Under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, he shed his perfect blood for us so that those of us that call him our Savior, those of us that follow him, those of us that obey his commands, we can experience true love, true forgiveness, and true life. So as we take of this, we remember, partake. And God, as we partake in, in, in this, Lord, we, we do it in remembrance of you, God. And, and we know, Lord, it has no special effect on us other than it allows us to focus and zero in on what truly matters. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that it has nothing to do with, with who we are and what we do, and it has everything to do with who you are and what you did. And God, we thank you, God, for the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. God, we thank you that you are present in our pain, that you understand the hardship, you understand the pain that we go through. God, would you help, would you, your power, Christ, would your power rest upon us so that we may delight in our weaknesses and help us remember, God, that these trials are for now, they're for a little while, but one day there will be no more weeping, there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears because we'll be in your presence. God, lastly, I just want to pray within us, God, for a fiery desire for others to experience this as well. God, to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ with others, Lord. For others to come and to hear the message of Jesus Christ and to have their lives forever changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they too may partake of the Lord's Supper. That they too may remember of Christ's bloodshed and sacrifice for our sins. That they too may be called a child of God. Father, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. Amen.